Coffee and Theology with Brent and Colin. And uh, we're going to pick up on where we left off on code switching. But before we do that, we need to talk about some coffee. Yes. Colin, what delicious roast do we have today? today? It looks like a lighter roast, but that might just be me. No, it's a definitely a darker roast. <laughs> oh, it is a darker roast. It's Sorry, a- my cup is a little deceiving on what it looks like. Yeah. It's um it is a Sumatra mm. and um this particular Sumatra comes from an area that uh the soil allows it to have both the earthy flavors that you that are very known to Sumatra as well as some sweet notes that are that are being carried over and that those sweet notes are kind of not so much fruity but more of like a, a palm fruit or a date um sugar flavor that you get inside of it but it's not super um it's it's not heavy it's not overbearing it's you know, I, I love the Sumatra. It's one of my favorite coffees that you make. And uh, I got to tell you, my analogy for this Sumatra is, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a down-to-earth coffee. It's a you down-to-earth know, coffee. It's a down-to-earth coffee. I mean, this is like, it's not, you know, the uh, the Toyota of coffees that's just prevalent everywhere. You know, that'd be more like a Colombian or something. But it, but it's but it's a practical coffee, you know. It's, 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 it's like a truck. You know, it's useful, it's heavy duty, uh, it gets you where you're going and, uh, and you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's fun to own and and to drink and, uh, and, uh, there it is. It's, uh, that was a terrible analogy, but that's what I got. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take it. So let's take a little sip and, uh, let's just taste this deliciousness. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right, Colin, uh, let's get back to code switching. Just a quick reminder to our audience what code switching is. Uh, Code switching is when uh, a writer or speaker switches languages in the middle of a conversation intentionally. And talked about reasons why somebody might do that in the last podcast. And we also started covering places in Mark where Mark switches from the language he's writing in, which is Greek, to Aramaic, which would be the language that uh, Jesus would have spoken in and back again and the reasons for doing that. So we'll just pick up on that conversation and jump into the theology part. How about we talk about Mark 10 with the healing of Bartimaeus. 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 So <laughs> Bartimaeus is a Aramaic name. A simple uh, thing to remember here is that Bar means son of, and in Hebrew it would be Ben. So if he was... If if this ben her. Yeah, like Ben Hur, exactly. Great movie. Great movie, yes. Um, <laughs> Charlton Heston, once again, finest at his finest. So, I, I think Nick Cage is going to remake that movie. I really hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> now, Mark uh, defines Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. Interestingly enough, uh, not the only Aramaic name used in Mark. Uh, later on, he'll talk about. Uh, Barabbas. Mark doesn't define Barabbas, and Barabbas is actually a combination of two Aramaic words. Bar means son of, and Abba, which means father. Uh, so it's interesting that he takes the time to say, let's take a look at what this guy's name means. And I think what Mark is doing here is I think he's highlighting the Timaeus part. And I think the reason he's saying to his readers, pay attention to the Timaeus part, is because Timaeus 
was one of Plato's uh, dialogues. And so in Plato's dialogue, Plato basically puts forward a couple of key ideas. One is that uh, there is a distinction between the physical world and the eternal world. And this is where Plato starts to get into the concept of the world that we live in now is but a poor reflection of the perfect world. That, that might sound familiar because that's what Paul essentially says in Colossians as well. Um, so it's a very strong uh, philosophical concept that the world we live in is but a poor replica of the perfect world that's uh, intended. The other one is that in this dialogue with Timaeus, Timaeus also introduces a cause for the universe and he calls this the demiurge or the purpose of the universe and that there's a singular purpose uh, for the universe's creation and that's in it. that's through a uh, a god or somebody with intention and that their purpose is what's driving the universe forward. And then lastly, Timaeus also brings forward this concept that paradigm or understanding is what drives forward that perfected world. And the seeking of wisdom is actually what brings about our ability to see the perfect world um, and to see how essentially our our lesser version of the current reality maps to the perfect reality that it's supposed to be, and that's the paradigm shift. And I think, again, Mark is using healing to sort of set up the context for a story. Jesus is about ready to get to enter Jerusalem. Just prior to this, uh, his disciples had been arguing about who's going to be the greatest one. And James and John had made a grab at the thrones on the right and left of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. And they said, hey, we can, we can, be, your, we can be your right and left hand men. And Jesus is like, you might want to think twice before you ask that. <laughs> and then he follows up with this, hey, uh, by the way, the kingdom doesn't work like the world. It's, does, it's not built on authority and it's not built on these things. So Jesus kind of introduces this concept of, the, the, the kingdom or the perfect world is something that you guys may not be grasping because it doesn't work like the world you see. So I think Mark's using that. And I think what he's telling his readers is he's saying, Jesus just said the, the kingdom is not going to look like the world around you. He heals a guy named Bartimaeus. If you remember that whole thing about Timaeus that Plato introduced, think about that. Think about this perfect world and this imperfect world and that the two might not match up, but through understanding of a key driving purpose of the universe, you can make it match up. And ta-da, Jesus is the Savior uh, and, and hailed as the Savior. So I think Mark's using that moment and I think he's saying, hey, pay attention to not the name Bartimaeus, but the fact that this is, uh, that this guy has the name Timaeus in it. My only example of this would be um, Jesus uh, talking about being the light of the world. And then, you know, being a follower of Jesus, you just heard him talk about the light of the world. And then a guy comes up and asks for healing, and his name is Edison. And I think, you know, as an artist, you would be like, do you see the irony or the interest of this? That, like, I don't understand you're talking. I, the disciple, don't understand that you're talking about what it means to be the light of the world. And here's a guy who's outside of our circle who totally understands what it means to be the light of the world. And he's a named Edison. Like, doesn't that ring any bells? Like... The, you know, like maybe you should pay attention to the fact that we don't quite get it. About. Mm. And I think the, the notable thing to say about that is that like it's really important to know the content and the context of what was going on in that period of time. And I think, uh, you know, this would be that you could go. Just going to fill up my coffee here. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. No, it's okay. It, it, you would just, you would never even, like, nobody would think that unless you knew what was going on around mm -hmm. at the same time. 
Same way that somebody from, you know, Jesus' time would have no idea who Edison was unless they had read about, you know, about something going on in our time. Correct. So, and, and the cool thing about that is that it connects these two different worlds. That of Plato and Socrates and, and that whole, like, Helen, Hellenized philosophy. And then it kind of puts you into the same, into the same, like, world with Jesus where, like, you're making these connections. Which is kind of cool because it's not that, like, far off from each other. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's... It's interesting because that's like when the two the two like timelines uh, become parallel and they kind of cross for a second. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, whoa. Yeah. String theory. String theory. <laughs> <laughs> we just talked about string theory. <laughs> None of us can describe it, just like we can't actually say the Aramaic words, yeah. but, but we can say it. Let's hit one more big one, and then we'll we can uh, move on. But uh, Mark fifteen, Jesus on the cross. Uh, one of his final word phrases on the cross that he yells out is Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Again, I apologize for the pronunciation in Aramaic, although I think that's kind of what it is. I've heard it also said Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, or Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually probably the closest. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, I think, that, I think we nailed it there. So, uh, and, and so I think there's a couple of quick things. Uh, one is that um, I think this is definitely helpful for the context of where people say uh, he's calling for Elijah on the cross. So I think there is that context. I also think there is another defining moment, not just the death of Jesus, which is the defining moment, but another defining moment uh, from Mark's perspective of setting up. Uh, where he talks about Jesus as the son of God. And right after this instance, a centurion says, uh, surely this was the son of God. And Mark starts his gospel by saying, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. And then a few places throughout his gospel, he sprinkles in the phrase, the son of God. And if you look at the highlights uh, of where he says, uh, Jesus is the son of God, he, he says it, it's when God recognizes him as his son at his baptize, baptism. It's when the demons recognize his power over them. It's when he is transfigured and shown next to Elijah and Moses, and it's at his crucifixion. And so I think he's highlighting four key moments, and he's utilizing the Aramaic in that moment to call the reader's attention, not just to the precision of the moment, the emotion of the moment, but also pay attention strongly to this moment as the, the culmination of his uh, title being the Son of God. There's also the allusion to Psalms 22, which we talked about in the last podcast, where um, Jesus starts off with the saying that is the first words in the in Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he does this, and one of the ideas is that he does this, so that he's uh, alluding to the entirety of Psalms 22, which has a... Uh, kind of a, a defeated beginning, but a victorious ending, and that's kind of what he's assuming. What he's assuming that the reader will know is that by him starting here, you're going to end at this better place where Jesus is victorious over the, over death, and that God, in in turn, is going to um, is going to rectify the whole scenario. A real powerful moment. I think he's using the code switching to bring people into that moment, uh, use the emotion of the moment, capture the moment, just like some of the other moments we talked about. Uh, there's a couple other uh, phrases in Mark of probably uh, of a little bit more pedestrian nature. Uh, I don't think it's as significant, but uh, Mark three, when he when Mark lists the disciples, he uh, talks about how James and uh, John, the sons of Zebedee, were nicknamed Boanerges. Mm-hmm. 
Boanerges. Boanerges. <laughs> Bo- which means Sons of Thunder. <laughs> and uh, it's so, way cooler in English. Yeah, way yeah, Sons of Thunder. Wait, yeah, I don't. Yeah, that was uh, that was their professional wrestling uh, team name, I believe, was Sons yeah. of Thunder. Uh, Boaner just never really caught on. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to yell it's from like the. the bu- cr- <laughs> I think they went up with the Bushwhackers. <laughs> yeah, and Jake the Snake came in. And, Jake and the Snake, yeah. DDP. And it was yeah, a crazy it was it was crazy. So they 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 ended their wrestling career early, but uh, so and, you know, I think uh, Mark's just using this as. Uh, you know, it, it's probably just how he knew these guys, and it was the nickname that he probably used for them. Also, we have uh, Rabboni in uh, Mark 10, where basically uh, the blind man says, uh, Rabboni, I want to gain my sight. That's actually Bartimaeus who's saying that. So uh, just a, an Aramaic version of Rabbi. Uh, so I don't think there's a whole lot to be said there. On the triumphal entry in Mark 11, they shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord as Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Hosanna means Savior. Uh, Mark doesn't translate it, which is kind of interesting. Maybe a case where he just thought that was the best phrase to use. Uh, also, it has the allusion, uh, again, to Psalms. So I think he's kind of you know keeping that tie uh, closely to Psalms. In Mark 14, Gethsemane is an Aramaic name. Uh, it actually means oil vats or vats of oil or oil something or another. Oil Derek? I don't know. (laughs) It's something about oil. Uh, And he doesn't translate that. Uh, Barabbas, which I already mentioned. And then lastly, uh, in Mark 15, uh, Golgotha is an Aramaic word. Way cooler than Boanerges. Yeah. And Golgotha, which means place of the skull. So it's cooler on all accounts. All accounts. Uh, Yeah, it's it's way cooler. He does translate that, and that's probably just translated so that, you know, people know what it means. Interestingly enough, the uh, Latin version of that... uh, Skull is uh, where we get the word Calvary from. I still think we should call it Golgotha. Though. That's way cooler. Absolutely, that's way cooler. Yeah, way cooler. Uh, just a quick uh, note here. Matthew uses quite a bit of Aramaic that uh, Mark doesn't. But in places where they overlap, for example, Golgotha or the Eloi, Lama Sabachthani phrase, he translates it for his audience just as Mark did. Um, everywhere else that he uses um Aramaic, he does not translate it. For example, Jesus saying, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Jesus says, uh, nothing from the law is going to pass away, not one jot or one tittle. So uh, interesting that Matthew, on his own, seems to just use Aramaic phrases. Yet when he is using the same ones as Mark, he does translate them just as Mark did, which is probably also another case for the primacy of Mark. Uh, the Probably the most notable Aramaic name uh, in the New Testament uh, is not used by Mark, and that's Cephas, which is Peter's Aramaic name. Um, interesting that in Peter's own memoirs, he never mentions that he was named Cephas. Good question as to why. Something interesting that Paul seems to use Peter's sort of you know, name given by Jesus uh, when he talks about in Galatians about chastising Peter for kind of going backwards on his acceptance of the Gentiles. He calls him Cephas as almost to say that I know who this guy really is. And actually Paul code switches right there because he calls him Peter uh, up until the point where he talks about going to Jerusalem and getting permission from the pillars of the church, as he calls them, which are James, John, and Cephas. And he had literally just two verses before called him Peter. Maybe that's, again, to show that the intimacy that he knew Peter on that level. He knew Peter as Cephas in the Aramaic, as Jesus would have named him, versus, you know, Peter in the Greek version. Yeah. So, that's code switching. That is code switching. It's a lot of code switching. It's a lot about code switching. And I think, Colin, it's time to ask ourselves, 
Who cares? Who cares? What does it mean to us? What does it mean? So what? Mark used Aramaic. Woo! Probably <laughs> 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 going woo! <laughs> so why does, why does it matter? I mean, for me, I think that the greatest disservice that was ever done to me was a uh, children's uh, storybook Bible. Where you have this, uh, you have the the highlight reel of New Testament stories uh, drawn out into caricatures. Not even really good caricatures, more <laughs> yeah. like characters or yeah. drawings of like Anglo-Saxon Jesus, <laughs> yeah. who who does these things. And, and you have these, you, so you have this, you have this these pictures that you go off of and these get like burned into your mind. Well, I'll speak for myself. They got burned into my mind. And so reading an actual Bible, you get, I have like this, this storybook like idea running like real in my head of like what's going on. And, and I think that that was probably the, though with good intention, the biggest disservice that was done to me because it distances me from reality of, of scripture. And, uh, and I'm reminded of uh, a scholar named Ramesh who says that uh, code switching allows us to get to be closer to Jesus. In Mark specifically, more than the other Gospels, because we can hear Jesus in his original language and it gives a personal touch to Jesus. And I think that we've talked about that several times in this, about how this personal touch is added by using code switching by Mark. And I think to me, this is where it matters. Because when, when Mark code switches and then explains, it puts you in the it puts you in the room. It puts you in the space that this is actually happening and it makes it far more personal and you in that that character that is drawn this anglo-saxon jesus kind of takes on a more real personality and a more real picture and becomes vivid uh and and i think that to, for me this is the most important part about code switching biblically is that you get an understanding of what is he trying what point is he trying to drive what is he highlighting and it kind of introduces this this hidden language that was going on that you know is going on at the time but now you're seeing it in context and then the lastly it this personal you know br brings personality to christ uh, you know i love that because i think jesus can be put at arm's length in so many ways in the church i, I think you're right out of good intentions does that and translations out of good <clears throat> intention do that yeah. right and i think it's really great that the aramaic words spoken by Jesus in these moments has survived. You know, so many translators' hands and so many versions and so many interpretations uh, to this day that we can still almost hear, uh, if we were able to ever pronounce the words correctly, the actual words of Jesus yeah. uh, as spoken. So I love, I love that takeaway. I also added to that, uh, for me, I think, I think these are moments Mark is saying, you've got to pay attention to these moments. I think he does the code switching as a way to draw uh, the reader's ear to the moment and say, pay special attention to what's happening here. If you were to just take you know, the stone and skip it across the surface of the lake of Mark, uh, and, and the points where it hits are the Aramaic phrases, you get an interesting picture of Jesus. You have a resurrection. You have this tremendous first-time event picture of what resurrection might look like, the promise that's given to all of us. I think the, the miracles around being able to hear, being able to see, being able to speak and understand who Jesus is. And then lastly, I think on the cross, you have this moment where Mark is saying, pay attention, the darkest hour is before the dawn, and that the, the most agonized cry of our Savior is actually the beginning of the victory song that we will all march to. And I think if you just look at the Gospel of Mark, at those highlights, uh, and you have this promise of resurrection, this understanding of who Jesus is, 
and this moment on the cross where we're redeemed. I think you get a, a good sense of what the good news that he was trying to tell us in, and I think he uses his Aramaic to draw our attention to that a fuller picture of Jesus and this deeper understanding of who Jesus was, um, particularly in the context of, of those, um, those stories. Mm-hmm. And there it is. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of code switching. So uh, let's wrap it up with the final sip of coffee. Mine has grown a little cold, but it's super delicious still. Oh, yeah. Love that stuff. And uh, that's it for coffee and theology. (laughs) Next, we'll talk about something else regarding Mark. Yeah. And uh, until then... Sit on the edge of your seats and stay tuned for the code switching trailer featuring Nicolas Cage. Oh, it's going to be awesome. They switched the code! (laughs) (laughs) This is the official coffee and theology pronunciation guide for Aramaic words. Talitha kum. Talitha koem. Talitha kumhi. Talitha kum. Talitha Kaum. Talitha Kum. If half 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 Bartimius. 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 It's like going to Walmart. <laughs> Bartimius. Hey, is that Bartimius? <laughs> All right. Eloy, Eloy, I'm Eloi, Eloi, Lima Sabachthani. Boanerges. Bonergies. <laughs> I wonder why I wonder why that nickname didn't stick. <laughs> it's the Bonergies. Uh, the Bonergies bros are coming up like coming out the water. Look out. Here comes the Bonergeeses. <laughs> they got older as the boner geezers. <laughs> From now on, you just gotta call them the boner geese. <laughs> I think that's it. Bonerges. Boners. Oh no. <laughs> Bonerges. That's, that's definitely not better. <laughs> oh man. Oh, they did not like that nickname. Alright, I think that's. Uh, that's Bonerges. Bonerges. Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. Bonerges. <laughs> Anyway.